I, um, I'm really a pretty modest person, and I don't like to brag, but... I have some technical challenges, but, but um, I am modest, and um, I don't like to brag very much, but um, the truth is I think I'm a pretty good Christian. I, I, I've been a pastor now for uh, 15 years, and um, even before that, I thought I was a pretty good Christian. There's really only two areas that I struggle at in my Christian walk, and they are loving God and loving my neighbor. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the problem with that is that's pretty much all Jesus asked us to do. He said um, the most important commandment is this, Israel, listen, our God is one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, um, a second commandment that is equally important is you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And uh, those are the only areas where I really struggle as a Christian, um, uh, is, is loving God and neighbor. And the reason for that is it's not easy to love. It's not easy to love uh, people, and it's not always easy to love God. Love is not easy. Um, I, and, you know, the reason for that is that, frankly, some people aren't lovable. I mean, I'm lovable, right? But but some people are. And, you, you know, you know the person that just flashed in your mind a second ago, that person, they're not very lovable. Um, and, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a relative, you know, your, your, one of your parents or one of your children, uh, your spouse, that there's things they do that get on your mind, um, and uh, that kind of make make them live rent free in your in your head. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's it's a neighbor. But there's people that you find difficult to love. But even the people that we don't actually dislike, the people that you know we're kind of indifferent to, well, it's not easy to love them either because Jesus said loving people is not simply peaceful coexistence. You know. You know, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. That's not loving people. So for people who you really don't care one way or another about, that's not loving them either. And, and so Jesus, Jesus gives an example of love. He, he's asked, what does it mean to love your neighbor? And he gives the, the famous parable about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was moved with compassion when he saw the man who had been, um, uh, robbed and left for dead. He saw him, was moved with compassion, and he went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine, then he placed the wounded man in his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. This is for a complete stranger. It's somebody the Samaritan had never met, but he was moved with compassion. He loved that person, and Jesus gave that as an example of what it means to love someone. And that's hard. It's hard enough for people we care a lot about to to stop what we're doing, to invest ourselves, to take care of people, and then to to get out our wallet and do what it takes to, to continue to care for them when we aren't able to. That's a hard thing to do for people we care about. Um, and it's even harder for people we don't know, and it's almost impossible for people we dislike. So it's hard to love people sometimes. And the truth is, it's sometimes hard to love God. God is sometimes hard for us to love. And the the place where I experience that uh, most commonly, perhaps, is when I do something that I'm not proud of. Maybe it's something that's wrong, or maybe it's just something that's small, you know, that's mean. It's, it's, it's less than I should be. 
it's not necessarily wrong, but you know, I could have done better. And I, I feel this, this kind of nagging sense that God is looking at me and judging me. And let me tell you what, what I usually think next when I have that sense that God's watching and God's not very pleased. I think to myself, look, I'm just trying to get through this. This is hard. And, you know, cut me some slack. And besides, God, don't you have something better to do? I mean, look at the world. Look at the world. Turn on the TV. Uh, look at the newspaper. Check your social media timeline. The world is a mess. How can God allow school shootings and hospital shootings? How can God allow churches to be burned in Nigeria, people to be killed? How can God allow all the war and violence in, in Ukraine and elsewhere? How can God allow this? What kind of God, how is that lovable for God to permit these things to happen? How How is it lovable that God permits there to be cancer and Alzheimer's and suicidal depression? Sometimes hard to love God. Jesus said it was important, but he never told us it was going to be easy. Today is, of course, Pentecost. We've been talking about it throughout our worship service, but Pentecost is the, uh, the, the celebration of the events of that first Pentecost celebration for the church um, a couple of months after Jesus was raised from the dead. So um, we read about it in the... Um, in, in a book called the um, the Acts of the Apostles, the the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, it tells us about that first Pentecost. It says, "A sound from heaven, like the howling of a fierce wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak." And everybody who heard this, all the the great multitude who was in Jerusalem for the festival, they were going, "How can I possibly hear this?" And they were surprised and bewildered. And they asked each other, what does this mean? What does it mean? What do these events that have taken place mean? And Peter answers. The apostle Peter answers. He stands up and says, let me explain to you what it means. And and he then does so for the rest of chapter 2. And it must have been a pretty good explanation because... Because the writer tells us those who accepted uh, Peter's message, those who said, well, all right, that makes sense to me. That that would explain it very nicely. Um, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and God brought about 3,000 people into the community on that day. So Peter must have given a very good explanation. But I want to look at a different explanation. It's really not an expert explanation. It's a prediction that includes an explanation that Jesus made. Jesus made it on the night before he was arrested and the day before um, uh, he was he was uh, um, tried and crucified, he gave it in the upper room. And John John um, uh, tells us how that was going. So he's told us about the the Last Supper and the way Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then in chapter fourteen, Jesus um, begins what's called the uh, the uh, um, upper room discourse. And he starts explaining to his disciples what's going to happen next and what uh, what they should be um, prepared for. And so so Jesus starts explaining it to them. And he, he begins by saying, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to come back later and, and you know, I'll, I'll take you to um, my father's house. But I'm going to be leaving. And uh, I think 
that's when Philip perks up. He hears about the Father, and he says, "Look, you don't even have to, you know, you don't have to go and do all that. Just show us the Father." And uh, Philip is probably thinking of different stories throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the way God presented Himself to to Moses in the burning bush, or um, that, that God God uh, would from time to time. Um, uh, present himself to different people in the Hebrew Scriptures, and Philip is saying, "Just do that. That would be fine. That show us the Father, and that will be enough for us." And Jesus says, "That's what I came to do." Jesus says, "It is precisely that that I came here to accomplish." Our, our first point is Jesus. Um, reveals God's character and purpose. And what Jesus says is, don't you know me, Philip, even after all this time? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I came to show you the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I've spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. So Jesus says, if you if you find it difficult to love God, if you cringe in fear because because you see God as that judge who is watching you until you make a mistake, instead look at me. Instead of instead of following what your imagination or your conscience tells you God must be like, look at Jesus. He says, I show you the Father. The reason I came is to show you the Father. The works I do show you the Father. says, I've been here among you. And by now, Philip, I would have wished that you would recognize the Father in me. So Jesus goes on. He says, trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, Philip, I wish that you could do that. I wish that everyone could look at me and see the Father in me. But the nature of our brokenness is that we can't. We cannot, by ourselves, see God as anything but an angry judge. But he says, the reason I came is to show you the Father. And if you can't believe me, if you can't believe the words I've said, the, the things I've taught you about the, the, the loving Father who runs to embrace the lost son when he returns. If you can't believe what I've told you, at least believe the signs that I've performed. Believe the works that I've done. Believe what you've seen me do. And I think Jesus is referring to the, the great miracles, the, the feeding of the multitude, the, the, um, the uh, walking on waters, calming the storms, the great miracles that we think about Jesus doing. But I think he's also talking about the smaller miracles, the, the things that, that people were stunned by, but that didn't seem miraculous. Things like touching a leper. Things like speaking to foreigners and outcasts. Look at the way I've included women in my group of disciples. Just saying, look at the way I've acted. Things that surprised people. Believe the works. If you cannot believe what I've said, believe the works themselves. Our second point is seeing leads to believing. When I was 
still uh, uh, not a believer, I had a conversation with the pastor at the church Margot attended, and I said, you know, I loved your sermon today, but there's only one problem, I don't believe in God. And he said, maybe you could believe God if you could see what God is doing. He said exactly this, I wish you could believe what Jesus said in his word. But since you can't, maybe you can believe by seeing what he's doing. And then he went on and he said, and I think this church is a great place to see God at work. And here I am, 30 years later, seeing did leave lead to believing. So Jesus continues. He's, he's kind of addressed Philip's concern. He's leaving, and he's not going to show them the Father any more than he has done every day of his ministry up to that point, that the best way to see the Father is the way Jesus has shown him to Philip. So now he continues the point he was making about leaving. He says, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. <coughs> he says, <coughs> I'm leaving, but the work I began continues. It will continue in my, um, in, you know, after I depart, the, the work will continue. And he says um, that the, the, whoever believes in him will, will do the works he does. He says that the community of people who believe in what Jesus has done and is doing that, that they will continue to present Jesus to the world so that the world can have a different picture of the Father. He says, they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask for in my name so the Father can be glorified in the Son. That as the church presents um, Jesus to the world, the world sees Jesus in the church, and by seeing Jesus in the church, they, it, it brings glory to God the Father. So Jesus says, I will empower that to happen so you can continue the work that I began. The church brings glory to the Father in presenting Jesus to the world, that, that we are doing the work that Jesus began, showing God because we show Jesus. And so he says... If you love me, to to be about this work, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. At uh, a few verses back, at the end of chapter thirteen, he said, first of all, love one another. Within the community of faith, within within the family of the children of God, within the church, the community of believers, love one another. He says that it is by this they will even know you are my disciples. If you don't do that right, they won't even know how you're doing the things you're doing. But he says, keep my commandments, including the commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. And Jesus knows that's hard. And so he says, I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. And this brings us to Pentecost. Why did the Holy Spirit come? Jesus said, I will ask the Father to send another companion. Now, there's two points about uh, another companion. The first is the word companion. Different translations uh, render this word differently. Um, some translate the, the, the actual word in Greek, the word in the, the manuscript of, of John, if, if that were available to us, would say paraclete. 
He said, I will send you another paraclete. That literally means the one who is called alongside to kaleo, call, and para beside. So the one who's called alongside. So he says, I will, I will ask him to send another paraclete. But, you know, what does that mean? The one who's called alongside. So different translations render that differently. Some of them just say, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to keep it paraclete. So the, the Douay Reims and um, the New Jerusalem Bible, they say paraclete. Other translations say, um, advocate. If you think of a courtroom setting, the person who comes alongside and makes your case before the magistrate or something, that they are your advocate. Um, in the, in the, um, uh, older Bibles, the King James Bible and the, um, uh, other Bibles, the, uh, ASV and so forth, they would use the word comforter and they mean the one who gives strength to. So to put strength in you, to, to add strength. And I think nowadays we mostly hear about, um, uh, comforting and we think, you know, they're there, but it's a stronger word than that. So other translations say companion, others say counselor, others, I, I love, uh, Eugene, uh, Peterson's word is friend. Um, and, uh, uh, the, but, but the one that I think encompasses all these meanings, those are all accurate translations. Um, there's nothing wrong with any of them. But the one that I think is kind of most all-encompassing is helper. And so Jesus says, I will send another companion, another counselor, advocate, uh, uh, comforter. I will send you another helper. But the other thing he says is, I will send you another one. He says, this is also continuation of the work I've done. That I have been doing this work. I have been that comforter. I have been that companion. I have been that helper to help you see the Father, to help you see how to love your neighbors. He says, I will send you that helper. So our last point, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are our helpers. So Jesus says, this companion is the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive. (laughs) Because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. I've spoken, I've spoken these things to you while I'm with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, (coughs) doesn't help to go faster. The companion, the Holy Spirit, (coughs) whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus says, I came to show you the Father. I came to help you see God as lovable. And I came to show you how to love your neighbor, to love each other the way Jesus loves us. He says, I came for these things. And in his absence, in his earthly absence, that he has sent the Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us to do the same things, to continue the work he's doing through the work of the church and in our hearts. Jesus said that that uh, one of the prophets said that uh, through one of the prophets, God said that he would give us uh, hearts of flesh to replace our stony hearts. Uh, Jesus talked about a new birth, a birth from above, that the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he transforms He transforms knowledge into trust, into belief. And he gives us a new heart so that it's even possible for us to experience God as a loving father. 
but he also empowers us so that we can be about the work of Christ in the world, loving the outcast, touching the leper, healing the sick, feeding the multitude. The Holy Spirit helps us to love God and to love our neighbor. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit working alongside of us that we are able to carry out the assignment Jesus gave us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And as the Holy Spirit brings them to faith, to baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus present to us in the work that we do so that people will see the Father reflected in the Son reflected in us. The Holy Spirit also makes Jesus available to us in the sacraments. In a few moments, we're going to be uh, receiving from the Lord's table, and I invite you to prepare your hearts to accept that gift, um, knowing that it is the Holy Spirit who transforms knowledge into belief. If you have even the faintest glimmer of belief, you are welcome to enjoy the presence of Jesus at this table by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Loving God, you love us, but we don't always love you. We certainly don't begin by loving you. And you have called us to continue the work of Jesus, to show that you are a loving God, a loving Father who runs to welcome the prodigal. Lord, we pray that your spirit would continue to empower us to be about this work for the praise and glory of your name. Amen.